We're in James 2, 1 through 13. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, if you want to look that up on your smart device or whatever you want to use. Uh, I know one famous person, and that's just one, not, not even a super famous. You, if I'd said his name, half of you wouldn't know who he was. He's a quarterback in the NFL, uh, and my wife and I knew him and his wife when they were college students, had them over to our house a few times. Uh, last year, he, he was scheduled to be honored at halftime of the U of H football game. And so I don't really keep in touch with them, but since they were going to be in town, I sent them a text and said, hey, I'd love to see you. And they said, well, just let us know when you get to the game and we'll let you into the suite because they were putting all the VIPs in one of those luxury suites for the game. And I said, okay. And so when I got to the game, I sent his wife a text and she came and met me and snuck me in. I wasn't supposed to be there. I didn't have the ticket for that, but she snuck me in because I was with her. I, I was okay. And so I hung out with him for a while and kept caught up. And then he had other people to talk to because he's famous and I'm not. And, uh, but then this big monsoon hit, I mean, just, uh, just raining sheets, cats and dogs, the whole nine yards. My father-in-law would have called it a frog strangler. Right. And, and they, they've, postponed the game. We didn't even think there was going to be a game, but it, it was hours before the game started. And I hung out in that suite the whole time where I wasn't supposed to be. And I learned the rules there are different, right? When I go to a football game, I'm sitting in the hot, hot sun on, on hard metal bleachers. If I want food, I have to go stand in line and it's not good food and it costs way too much. It's just, I mean, you just really need to want to be there to be there because it's not a pleasant experience in any way, aside from the fact that you're watching your favorite team play. But in there, it's very different. In there, there's air conditioning, there's comfortable seats. If you want to go out, they've got a little area where you can sit in, in some stadium seats uh, outside or you can stay inside where the air conditioning is. And, and meanwhile, there's TVs all over the place where you can watch all the other games that are going on all around the country. So while we're sitting there and there's rain delay, I'm watching five, five or six different games at the same time, which is sort of my wheelhouse, right? That's, that's what I like to do. And, and meanwhile, they keep bringing out food and, and you don't stand in line. You just, you just go up and get it. It's there. And it was so funny because I, when I got there, they had a little buffet and they had like some salad type stuff and some sandwiches and some little mini quesadillas. And it was all delicious. And I thought, man, why don't they sell this stuff in the, in the concession stands? And then a few minutes later, about half an hour went by and they brought out another. And then it was pizza and then it was then it was steak and then it was little little shrimp uh, kebabs. And I was OK, I'll go get some more of that. And then then later on, they brought out more stuff. And it was these little football shaped sugar cookies. And then later on, it was these little cups of chocolate mousse. And it was so funny because whenever they would come out, you'd see the crowd just kind of right over there and, you know, get their snacks and then go sit down. And I thought, man, this is nice. I could get used to this. But, you know, there's probably never going to be a time when I'm back in that suite. I don't know anybody who, who's in there. I'm not going to pay for it. Um, but that's how our world is. There's different rules for different kinds of people. Different kinds of people are in the same place but they experience a totally different reality. Some of you have experienced this when you've flown on a plane, right? You've seen them close that curtain between you and the first class section. And, and you know that they're getting good food and you're getting something that you have to peel plastic back off of, right? That bears no, no resemblance to anything you would actually order in a restaurant. And there's, 
one bathroom for about 85 of you, and there's two bathrooms for about eight of them. And, and it's just not right, but that's the way it is, that you can't cross that curtain. It's like the, it's separating you from the Holy of Holies, right? Um, but that's the way our world is. We all want to be in that exclusive group that gets the special treatment, but once we finally get there, something interesting happens. We become way less democratic. Suddenly, we're, we're thinking, no, nah, we can't let any more riffraff in here. No, 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 no. we got to keep this very exclusive. That's just the way we are. That's human psychology. And that's what James is talking about here at the start of chapter two, that tendency in the human heart. He says, my brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Don't you love the fact that Jesus' own brother calls his brother the Lord of glory? He says, for if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James is giving one example of what he calls partiality. Another word for it is discrimination. It's the, the idea that some, there are different rules for different kinds of people. He, I want you to understand, he's not just saying, don't treat rich people in church better than poor people. He is saying that, but he's not only saying that, you understand. He, he's giving that as an example of partiality. He's telling us, don't have any partiality in you. Treat everyone the same. And I know most of us would say we do. But do we really? We all think of ourselves that way, but do we really? I think about, obviously, this kind of thing was happening in the churches that James wrote to. As you can imagine, in that world, there weren't many wealthy Christians. So if a wealthy man walked into a church, that was an unusual thing. And you could tell by the way he dressed. And everybody's thinking, boy, if we get him to go to our church, we'll, we'll have it made. Everything, will, his, his blessings will accrue to us. I think about uh, that story I told y'all Sunday about the church that we visited and how they have different rules for the big givers. Now, again, I'm not criticizing that church because that's a church that's reaching a lot of lost people and I admire them for it. I just don't think that's a good policy. I don't think it's right that if you give a certain amount, you get special access to the pastor. You get invited to special events. And they would come back and say, well, you know, all other kinds of organizations do that. Political parties do that. Colleges do that. Uh, charities do that. Some of you know that you donate to some of those organizations and you get special privileges. But a church, I don't believe, should be that way. I don't think that's, I think that violates what James is saying here. Uh, some of you have experienced this too. Maybe you have a friend, friend, and you think they're your friend, and then you're at a party or a get together and there are some well some higher class people and your friend ignores you because he's too busy trying to impress those people who are higher up the social ladder right you've experienced this perhaps um, of course racial discrimination falls into this category I know growing up where I did good good place to grow up and the people in the church I grew up in were good people and and they they're the ones who taught me about the Lord baptized me discipled me but I also know there was a sense that, well, you know, we don't hate anybody of another color, but we just think they should stay where they live and we should stay where we live and they should go to church with their people and we go to church with our people. 
And it's not just people who look like us. Right? Some of you are aware of, of Tony Evans, right? African-American pastor in Dallas, one of my favorite preachers. And he was telling a story some years ago about how after a while, when his church had really grown quite a bit, uh, there was a certain segment of white folks that started coming to his church. And one of his longtime members came and said, Pastor, I don't like all these white people coming to my church. I don't, I don't like it. I think you need to tell them to leave. And, and Dr. Evans said, well, uh, I'm not going to tell them to leave. I just, brother, I suggest you do some black evangelism and change the ratios if you like it better. And I, I guess his idea was, you know, I'll, I'll just use your racism for good. You know, if, if that's going to motivate you to win some souls to the Lord, then go for it. But that's, that's in us too. And then I, I also want to point out something that churches do. And that is targeting certain groups. Y'all you, you may not be aware of this, but when you read... Bob will know about this and maybe some of the rest of you. When you read books about pastoral leadership, often they will talk about you need to decide who your target audience is or what, what kind of what group of people you want to reach. And when you when you go around to these churches and you ask them, well, who's your target? It's it's odd how it's always well-educated, well-off young adults. They just they just all feel called to reach the same group of well-educated, well-off young adults. I, I just the Lord just has a heart for that group, I guess. And, um, but isn't that, isn't that partiality? If you're making a concerted effort to reach those people, but well, if that other person, that older person or that poorer person or that less educated person wants to go, well, that's fine, but I'm not going to go out of my way. Why is this so bad? I mean, many of the things I've mentioned are standard business practice, Right. Not racial discrimination, of course. We pretty much universally think that's a bad thing, even if we haven't really given it up. But most of these things are seen as just smart business. So what does James have to say about why we should avoid this? Well, number one will surprise you. I think the, reason, the, reason, the first reason that James gives is that God loves those who are less fortunate. The heart of God goes out to those who are forgotten. As he says in verse 3, I'm sorry, verse five. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you are called? I want you to understand something. This does not mean that God does not love people who are well off just as much. Do not take this out of context to make it say that. There are further teachings in James that even more might give you that impression. But you have to read the whole counsel of God's word. And it's obvious God loves everybody. So why does it seem like he's favoring those who have less? Well, I, the way I see it is it's sort of like if you had two kids, two sons, and one of them was tall and athletic and the other one was kind of short and, and uncoordinated. And they were always competing in races and basketball and all kinds of stuff. And you watched them. Wouldn't you be happier when the little one won once in a while? Wouldn't you be happier for him? Wouldn't you be rooting for him secretly? Not, it's not because you love him any less than the tall athletic one. It's just you want to see both of them win. And I think that's the heart of God. He sees the people who are hurting, the people who have less, the people who are left out, the people who are ignored. And he likes to see them when he wants to see them treated well because no one else does. So there's two reasons for that. Number one, because riches and success keep people from, falling, from fully following Christ. 
And, and we see that in the scriptures. We see that in the story of the rich young ruler. Jesus did not give a universal command to say everybody has to sell all their possessions and, and be penniless to follow me, but he did say that to this man. Why? Because he knew that his wealth was standing between him and discipleship. Jesus knew that. I, I heard a, a sermon by Tim Keller this week that said, and he said something interesting. He, he said that back in the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, there were several priests and pastors in South America, Americans or Westerners, um, Europeans, uh, who abandoned Christianity and took up Marxism because they said, I identify with the poor. And Marxism is, you know, that's, that's about identifying with the poor and, and taking from the rich and, and making things equal. And then to their shock, the poor of that part of the world didn't embrace Marxism, but instead embraced Christianity. You know, these ministers thought they were identifying with the poor when the poor said, no, we want the gospel. The gospel offers real hope. The gospel offers real, real change and, and real transformation. And, and that's one of the areas uh, where the gospel is spreading. And, and so you think about that. Uh, back to the, the idea of churches that all want to reach the young, good looking, well-educated couple with the 3.5 beautiful children, right? We all get excited when we see those folks join the church. But if we really wanted to see salvations happen, we would focus a lot more attention reaching out to the folks who were on welfare, the people who were unemployed, the people who'd been divorced three times, the people who were struggling with addiction, the people uh, who were just left out, forgotten, ignored, by the rest of society. That's, those are the people that are going to be hungry for the gospel. Those are the people to whom the gospel is going to sound like good news. And that's one of the reasons God seems to favor those who have less. Another reason is God is just more glorified in the lives of those who have less. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. He writes to them and says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. The reason I said God is most glorified in those whom the world ignores, when you take someone who is successful and, and well-resourced, like many uh, of our kids, for instance. Can God use them? Absolutely. I think God will use them in, in powerful ways. But when you take someone who has no advantages at all, and then they do something great for God, it's obvious. It's not because of good breeding, and it's not because of good education. It's because it's, it's the Lord. It's, it's a miracle. And that's another reason why God favors them. So that's another reason for us not to show favoritism. The second reason, because it breaks the royal law. That's James's term. He says in verse 8, if, you're re if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. And why does he call it the royal law? Because it's a law given by the king. Who's the king? Jesus. Jesus is the one who said when asked what is the greatest commandment, one of the two, love your neighbor as yourself. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. 
See, a lot of people don't think about it this way. They think, well, you know, it's just the way I was raised. I was raised to, to favor this kind of person over that kind of person. Or, or, you know, everybody else does it. Everybody else prefers to be with their kind of people. Or, or well, you know, these people just, I just like them more. But no, it's transgression. It is, in fact, he goes on and says, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So his, his thesis or his, his uh, metaphor is, his application is, yeah, if you kill somebody, you can't go and stand up on judgment day and say, hey, Lord, it's okay because I never cheated on my wife. Well, you killed someone. The, if you follow the logic to its logical extent, if you never kill anybody, you never cheat on your spouse, but you stand before the Lord and say, well, I didn't like those people. I liked the people who were more my type. I liked the people who could help me socially, the kind of people who could help me professionally. It's the same. It is just as much a sin in the eyes of God. You're breaking the royal law when you show partiality. And then the third reason is because we will be judged someday. Verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. And always, 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 when you read about the judgment day, you have to take into account, account the whole counsel of God's word. Because there are passages like this one that make it sound, if you take them out of context, as if your salvation rides on whether or not you are obedient to this law or that law. And if that's the case, then Jesus died for nothing, right? So James could not have believed, and he's not, he could not be saying here, if you show partiality, then God's going to take away your salvation, because otherwise that's... That's denying the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. That's denying the gospel. So what he is saying is, you don't want to stand before God someday and have to account for why you treated a certain class or race or group of people in a particular way that was not Christ-like, that was not loving. You don't want to have to justify that before the Lord, even if it's forgiven. I think all of us are going to experience for, uh, regrets on that day, but wouldn't you like to limit those regrets? Wouldn't you like to stand before him uh, with a life that you can be excited to offer before him on the day of judgment? I think about the first time in my life I was ever pulled over by an officer. I was 16 years old. I was on my way home from an event at my high school, and it turned out it was just a, a headlight out, so I didn't get a ticket. But boy, I tell you, my hands were shaking when I saw those those lights, and, and he pulls me over, and he comes over, the officer comes over to talk to me, and as we're talking, he said, where are you coming from? I said, oh, I was at the high school. We had our sports banquet tonight. He goes, oh, okay, well, um, you know, my, my son is, my son is, uh, you know, plays sports there. His name's Tony Willis, and I said, oh, well, Tony's a good friend of mine, and he said, is that right? <laughs> and I realized, oh, he thinks I'm just making that up. And how does he know that I'm not just making that up to impress him? You know, imagine that everyone you meet, even the person that smells bad, even the person that you don't want to have anything to do with, every person you meet is God's son, God's child that he's proud of. Don't you want to stand there 
on Judgment Day and say, yeah, your child was a friend of mine. Your child was someone I showed love to. Here's another story. So I knew a guy uh, who went back home one Sunday and visited uh, his, his home church. And there he ran into a girl he had graduated high school with. Now this is you know, 20, 25 years after graduation. He hasn't seen her since then. In high school, she was very quiet. and He was more one of the popular kids. Um, and he was surprised to see her there, but she had gotten saved. And uh, he met this young this lady's husband and kids, seemed very happy. He was very happy for her. And then she said, you know, I just want to thank you because high school was miserable for me and you were always so nice to me. She said, my mom was struggling with mental illness and I, was, I didn't have any friends, but you were always so nice to me. And he said, you know, I thought back on it and I couldn't remember one time I had gone out of my way to be nice to her. So he said, if I, if I was one of the nicest people, she must have been really, really miserable. And he said, it also made me think, I had no idea she was struggling. I just thought she was quiet. How many people do we pass right by? And we don't know that they're just that close to just chucking it off, that they're just that close to giving up on life. And one kind word, one kind action, you know, just to stop and how can I pray for you? That can make all the difference. And it doesn't have to be someone that you're just naturally drawn to. In fact, we ought to be the people as God's people who go out of our way. That doesn't mean it's, it's not right to have your special friends that you want to spend time with. But I know, I know because I've seen it happen. There, there are people who, for instance, in church, every Sunday you sit with the same little group and you love that group and that's great. But once in a while, it's a good thing to go over to that person that you never talked to or maybe the person that's never been there before and say, you know, my, friend, my group always goes to the Mexican restaurant, but today I'm going to take you to Luby's if you want to go. Or, or if you want to join us at the Mexican restaurant, then that's fine too. But to go out of your way, to go across the street to meet that new neighbor, uh, to, to sit down with the guy at the office that nobody talks to. And, and maybe he's kind of a difficult guy, but there's, there's every reason in the world for us to do that because Christ went out of his way for us. That's what I want to stress to you. None of us thinks of ourselves as being people who are partial. But wouldn't it be better instead of saying, well, you know, I, I don't care who you are. I'll treat you the same. Well, why not prove it by going out of your way as, as often as you can? Because that's what Christ did for us. So I'm going to pray. And I know, again, I'm, I'm, I'm coming up shorter than usual, uh, but my son is supposed to be speaking soon. So I'm going to try to run up there and see him. I apologize for the briefness, brevity, brevity. Yeah, that's the word. Yeah, the shortness of this. But let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you, Lord, for how they show me all the time the kind of kindness that this scripture is talking about. I pray that we would be consistently those people, not just in special moments, but Lord, all the time. And not just Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. I pray that uh, this would be a church where everyone feels welcome, but more than that, where we go out to those who have less and those who look different and those who we wouldn't naturally be drawn to. Lord, create opportunities for us to do that. And I pray that in our daily lives, we would do it too. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that your people would be known as those who love, because that's the way you were known. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray all these things. Amen.